Amen. Well, we've had some beautiful weather the latter half of this past week, and we have some more beautiful weather upcoming, and I love this. Uh, when people ask how being a pastor in Ohio is, they typically ask about the church, and I reply, I really sincerely enjoy the church. And then they, uh, they, they typically, after that, they ask, well, what do you think of Ohio? And uh, some of you guys might be offended uh, by this. <laughs> I don't mean to offend, but I typically describe Ohio in this fashion. Well, there, there's nothing great about Ohio, but there, there's nothing really terrible about Ohio either. It's just Ohio. And, and I do not mean, I, I see a, another hand raised over there, uh, and I don't mean to offend you, but that's been my experience of Ohio. But I think I need to change that because uh, I love the climate here. I've lived in Michigan, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, and now Ohio. Um, and in Georgia and South Carolina, they may claim they have four seasons, but the truth of the matter, the factual matter, is they don't. They do not have four seasons. Even though they may claim they have four seasons, they, they don't know what it's like to live in a region that has four seasons. I spent most of my life up in Michigan, and they have four seasons. But one of the seasons is pretty brutal if, if you've ever been up in Michigan, especially near the lake uh, during winter. And I love snow during the Christmas season, but I don't love snow uh, come January, February, and March. Um, and so Ohio, it has the four seasons like Georgia and South Carolina don't have, and they don't have the, the brutal winters like Michigan does. And so in my eyes, I think we got just about the perfect climate here in Ohio. Um, and so now I need to start describing Ohio is, well, there's one great thing about Ohio. They got great climate um, and then nothing terrible about Ohio as well. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoy the nice weather that God blesses us with. Uh, this past week, I was able to play disc golf uh, the other day when it was nice and warm. And then yesterday, we went uh, on for a walk on the trail. I forget the name of the trail. It's the, on the other side of the road from the res reservoir. Um, does anybody remember the name of that? The trail. Thank you. Yes, the trail. Uh, that, that's the trail that we went on yesterday. Um, and it was beautiful. Um, and this is all, I'm enjoying this nice weather, this nice creation, all in a cursed and broken world. One day we're going to be able to enjoy God's creation that is not tainted and cursed by sin. And I cannot wait for that day. And that's part of Paul's focus today as we continue our series on the book of Romans, talking about that day and age where we get to enjoy the earth, the, the new heavens and the new earth that have been restored, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. We're, we're talking, we, we get to talk about the, the glory of the coming kingdom this morning. And so kind of a recap to help us all uh, refresh our minds and where we are in this discussion. Paul wrote the, the book of Romans uh, or the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel to them. But instead, in the meantime, he was going to write a letter that, that pretty much consisted of this good news that God has granted us. And then two weeks ago, Paul presented an issue before us. Uh, he, he shares, he, he's rather personal with, with his audience. Or he's, he's rather personal with us where he says in his mind, he wants to do good and he wants to stay away from bad. But sometimes he does the bad and he stays away from the good. And, and he describes the, this, this process, this internal struggle in chapter 7, verse 23, as a war that is being waged uh, and the law in his mind. 
And that solution to this war that is being waged in the mind of Paul, that, that solution is found in chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8, what we talked about last week. The solution is that we are filled with God's spirit. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave is living within you. That's incredible. You have power. You are unique. You are special. You are no ordinary human being. In Sunday school, we, we talked about the, the, the great power that, that David had as he was, as God's spirit rushed upon him and, and David was able to slay the giant Goliath and we have that same power li living within us. That is our solution to this dilemma that Paul raises in, in chapter seven. And then Paul talks about when we are filled with God's spirit, we partake of the immense blessing of being a part of God's family. We become children of God when we are filled with his spirit. And this is not a birth given right. As far as what I can tell for, and being in line with the scriptures, this is not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is the creation of God. Everyone is made in the image of God, which gives them immense value. But not everyone shares the same blessing that we do in being a child of God where we get to direct the almighty creator of heavens and the earth with the simple term, title, father. He's our father. That is incredible. And it's a huge blessing being a part of the family of God, being a child of God. When we are filled with his spirit and when we become his child, we become partakers of his heir. We, we, are, we become the rightful recipient of God's kingdom. And Paul continues along those same lines in chapter 8. We're, we're picking up in this story here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And so Paul talks about, after talking about this blessing of being a child of God and, and being an heir of his, an heir of this coming kingdom, Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. As so Paul says flat out that there is suffering in this world. And we are going to suffer sometimes with Christ from, from time to time. I'm reminded of our Christian brother that, that we've lifted up in prayer near Russia, Pastor Maxime, our Lord's Harvest International, the missions uh, branch of our conference, the group of churches that we're affiliated with, has partnered with Maxime and, per, and provided financial, emotional, mental, and spiritual support. For this is a guy who altered his whole life to be a Christian, to be an evangelist, and he was assaulted for that. For no other reason than being a disciple of Christ, he was physically assaulted for that. I mean, we're in our society, in our, in our culture, we are certainly veering further and further away from the Christian faith, but we're not at that point yet. I, I don't know of anybody personally in the States who have been physically and severely beaten for no other reason than they are a disciple of Christ Jesus. But countless people throughout history and countless people to this day are still suffering for no other reason than they are a disciple of Christ Jesus. Paul was very well acquainted with this idea of suffering and, and to take it a step further, suffering for the sake of Christ. 
Before Paul was a strong advocate for Christ Jesus, he was a strong opponent of Christ Jesus. He sought to have Christians thrown in jail, and he sought to have Christians executed because they put their faith in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to be the Christ. Paul was a Jew, and Paul initially didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and so he had a huge problem with that. He was a huge opponent of the church. But God used a man by the name of Ananias to assist with the conversion of the apostle Paul. Jesus appeared to Ananias in a vision, and he told Ananias in regards to Paul in Acts 9, 15, and 16, Jesus says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so I just love that, that God uses, Jesus uses uh, Paul a, a, as their instruments for their glory and for their honor. This man who was a very vile opponent of the church. And then Jesus in this uh, vision in which he appears to Ananias and then he later appears to Paul as well in a vision. He flat out tells Paul, he flat out makes Paul aware that he is going to suffer. He is going to suffer for the sake of Christ's name. And so that, that did indeed take place throughout Paul's life. Paul records uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, that this is his description, his personal testimony of the suffering that he went through in this life. And he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's, uh, they, they would uh, severely whip someone 40 times minus one uh, for, for they didn't want to kill anybody. And five times th this took place. Three times Paul was beaten with rods. Once Paul was stoned. Three times Paul was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. That's a pretty detailed description of the suffering that Paul went through. Paul, Paul was left for dead. He was left for dead for the sake of Christ Jesus. That is, I mean, I've had a, a pretty easy, a very easy life. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of us uh, share in that. In comparison to Paul here, we, we've lived a pretty easy life. Nowhere near the, the suffering that Paul went through. But it's not a matter of if we are going to suffer. It's a matter of when. We are going to suffer. That, that, that is a harsh reality of living in this world that is cursed and tainted by sin. You will suffer. And you may very well suffer for no other reason than you are a disciple of Christ Jesus. This is nothing new. And it appears our society is, is getting closer and closer to that day by day. Nowhere in the scripture are, are, are we comforted with the fact that life is going to be easy as a Christian. If anything, 
The exact opposite may be true. There, 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 there's more of a responsibility. There, there's more of a burden on our shoulders. And, and so sometimes our, our life is more difficult uh, being a Christian. However, with all of that struggling, with all of that suffering that we all go through, Paul says it is not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You know, sometimes uh, I feel like we as human beings, we, we get so wrapped up in the sufferings that we are going through. We get so wrapped up in all these struggles that we are going through. And sometimes we lose sight of the future glory. And sometimes in my personal experience, I won't speak on behalf of anyone else, but I know my personal experience, sometimes these little bumps and the roads that I go through, when I'm going through them, they seem like huge mountains at the time. But whether you're going through a small bump, a hill, or, or Mount Everest, it does not even begin to compare to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God, the daughters too. The, the, the creation is waiting for the revealing of the children of God, where one day the children of God, those who have a living and active faith and, and they've been filled with God's spirit, they will be raised from perishable to immortality. They, they'll be raised to everlasting life. And the creation is eagerly waiting for this day. This day and age, this never-ending age that doesn't even compare to the current sufferings that we go through as human beings, as people living in a world that is cursed and tainted by sin. And so Paul continues in, in verse 20, and Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so this creation, this world that we are living in, it was subjected to futility or depravity for when Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning. We, we can read about this in, in chapter 3. Man was cursed. Women were cursed. The Satan was cursed. And, and a part of, of man's curse, the world was cursed. The, the, the creation was cursed. Back home in Michigan, we had a decent bit of shrubbery in our front yard, and that came with a decent bit of weeds. And oftentimes, I would find myself pulling these weeds in the front yard, and so often, more often than not, I wish it weren't true, but more often than not, these weeds would be covered with thorns. And even if, if I were to wear uh, gardening gloves and pulling these weeds, it would still pierce my skin. And oh, that, 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 that shock, that pain, I can still remember that to this day. Thank goodness uh, the weeds at our house now, they, they don't have thorns. I don't know if that's the case for you guys. Uh, but I experienced that, the, the, the curse, the, the, the brokenness of this world. That, that was part of the corruption of this world, the curse from the sin of mankind. This is not something that the creation willingly chose. This was a curse, a curse and a punishment put on the creation because of us, 
because of Adam and Eve, because of mankind. But one day, one day, the creation will be set free from this corruption. As God is going to make all things new. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. Revelation 21 and 22 have a beautiful description, a beautiful image of what this restored, what this renewed world that is freed from this bondage of corruption is going to look like. But until that day, until that glorious day and age, the creation will be groaning in the pains of childbirth. Now, I have to be honest with you guys. I've never experienced the pain of childbirth before, but I do hear it is pretty bad. Uh, Can I get an amen, ladies? Amen. Amen. (laughs) And, And so this world is groaning in the pains of childbirth until that glorious day. And so Paul continues in verse 23, and Paul writes, and not only the creation, and so not only is the creation mourning and suffering in the pains of childbirth, but Paul says, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So it's not only this creation that that eagerly awaits this glorious coming day. We wait for this day as well. But now while we wait, we groan inwardly. We suffer. We all suffer. We all go through times of trials and tribulations. But we wait, we eagerly wait for a day where all of that is going to be taken care of. One of the blessings of being the adopted child of God is that our bodies will be redeemed. When Jesus comes back to earth to establish God's coming kingdom, those who died in Christ will be raised from perishable to imperishable. This will all be done in the twinkling of an eye. And this is the hope that brings me peace and comfort in times of loss. I think uh, about my grandfather. You may think about your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, your children, you name it. We've all lost loved ones in our lives. But when our loved ones who have a faith in Christ, when they fall asleep and dead, they take their last breath and they fall asleep. And according to the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9, they know nothing. They know nothing. They are resting in the grave. And the next thing that they know, they take their last breath. And the next thing, in the snap of a finger, in the twinkling of an eye, at the return of Christ Jesus, they are going to be gloriously given victory over death once and for all. Amen. That brings me so much comfort and peace. What a glorious, a glorious hope. You you cannot come up with a better hope than that. 
in the twinkling of an eye, being resurrected at the return of Jesus and living in this new earth that God is establishing. And so we don't hope for things that are taking place currently, for that's not hope. Paul says you can't hope for things that, that are happening right now. I'm not hoping that, that I get uh, to go to church with you all today, for guess what? We all are already at church together. Hope is eagerly awaiting something that, that is yet to happen, something in the future. Personally, I know a lot about hope, for, for I am a Lions fan. Uh, many of you probably know a lot about hope being a Browns fan as well. Each year, we put our hope that our team will do good and maybe win the Super Bowl someday. But, you know, uh, the truth of being a Lions, a Browns fan, that day has never come and probably never will if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Uh, but contrary to being a Lions or Browns fan and putting our hope in, in, in a day and age that, that may or pro probably will not come, uh, when, when we put our hope in God, God tells us he is going to do these things. And the good news for us is that God has never not delivered on his word. And so when God says that we can put our hope that one day he's going to send his son, Christ Jesus, down toward to establish his coming kingdom, and those who have fallen asleep in death in Christ Jesus, they'll be raised to immortality, we can believe that. We can have faith 100%. There is zero reason to doubt that. And that brings me comfort. That brings me peace. That brings me hope. Hope in a coming day and age where even though... Temporarily, currently, we groan inwardly as we await the coming, the, the fruition of this coming kingdom. And this, this present day sufferings and trials and tribulations, they don't begin to compare to the glory that we will experience in God's coming kingdom. And so we have to be patient. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have to wait for this glorious coming day and age with patience. I don't think that there, there is any being who is looking forward to this day more than God himself. And he is the one who has the power, who has the authority, who has the say to bring about this glorious day and age. But unlike uh, me, oftentimes God is patient. God is patient in bringing about the plans of his coming kingdom. And I thank God that he is patient. Because if people early in the 20th century, 18th century, 17th century, all the way back, if they got their hopes that, that Jesus would establish his coming kingdom right then and there, you know who wouldn't be a part of that coming kingdom? We all wouldn't be a part of that coming kingdom. And so thank God he is patient. And so we need to eagerly await this coming day with patience and realize and understand that God has never not fulfilled. He's never not realized what he, is, what he says he is going to do. And so we can't lose sight of that hope. That hope needs to be at the forefront of our mind day in and day out. And so Paul continues in verse 26. He says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself or itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he or it who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for, for the saints according to the will of God. And so Paul said, as people who have a living faith in God, the, the, type, of peop, the, the type of faith that leads you to repent and be baptized, we, we are filled with God's precious Holy Spirit. And this precious Holy Spirit is working on our behalf. Have, have you ever been in, in a time of intense suffering, of intense grieving and mourning and sorrow, where you seek your heavenly Father in prayer? but all you can do is sob. I've been there. And the good news for us is that the Spirit is working on our behalf. But the Spirit himself or itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the spirit living within us is interceding for us to God. What a beautiful image that is. On a, uh, I hesitate to do this, but, but on a technical uh, side note here, uh, we see in verse 26, uh, Paul, said, or Paul writes, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. A lot of your translations will read the spirit himself, but it, but it can also read, uh, as you often hear me say, uh, it can also read the spirit itself. Anytime that the spirit uh, is, is given a masculine pronoun in the New Testament, it can be given a neuter pronoun as well. As uh, the Greek language is a tiny bit different in, in the English language and the fact that every noun has a gender in, in the Greek language. And the, the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, it, has a, it, it is a masculine word. And, and so in the original writings of the Greek, it, it was given a masculine pronoun. And there are plenty, plenty of words written in scripture that, that are given a masculine or feminine pronoun but when we translate it into the English language, when that uh, object doesn't have a pronoun, we, we tend to translate it, uh, giving it the, the neuter pronoun. That, that is it, uh, rather than he or she. Uh, so just a technical uh, side note there in, in verse 26, and, and when, we, when we read the word spirit and, and given that masculine pronoun. But now as, as, we, uh, as we continue here in verse 28, Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, some things, no, 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 not some things, most things, no, not most things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What a statement. If we love God with all that we have and all that we are, then everything we go through works together for our good. I'll be open and transparent with you all. I struggle with this verse to this day, not because it is overly complex. It's actually very simple. If you love God, then everything you go through works together for good. I struggle with it because it almost seems too good to be true. I struggle to realize it in my own life. 
It's hard to come to terms with this idea, with this concept that everything works together for our good in the midst of our suffering. Now, Paul talks about our suffering in chapter 5, and James talks about it as well in his book in chapter 1. While it's hard to see the fruit in our suffering while we go through it, Paul talks about how our suffering ultimately leads to hope. James says it leads to perseverance. And, and so no matter what you go through, if you love God, everything works together for your good. That is an incredible and a difficult truth to internalize, to really believe in our heart. If we love God, everything, not some things, not most things, but everything works together for our good. And the good news for us again is that God is the one inspiring the Apostle Paul to write these words. And God has never not delivered on his word. And so it's difficult, but we got to put our faith in God and realize that, hey, truly, if we love God, everything works together for our good. And this is not a blessing for everybody. Paul uh, very uh, clearly uh, limits who this is for. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So this is something that sets you apart as well uh, from, from those who don't have a living faith in God, that not everything in their lives work together for their good, but everything, if you love God, everything, everything works together for your good. It can be hard to see it in the moment, especially in the midst of our, our suffering and trials and tribulations, but we can read uh, through the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 1. They talk about this process of suffering being for our good. Here's the last uh, two verses that we'll uh, read this morning. Verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a really compact couple verses here that takes a bit to decipher. There are really two main different camps in how we can interpret what Paul is writing here in verses 29 and verses 30, as it sparks a bit of a theological discussion or a theological debate. On the one side, some of you guys may be familiar with the term Calvinism. That's the idea that God's grace is irresistible. When God offers his grace to us, it is physically impossible for us to resist his calling. Calvinists be believe that all people deserve death, and then God calls only some to his grace. So he predestines some to, to accept his grace, and everyone else will pay for their sin. That could seem uh, rather harsh to many. I've heard a, a Calvinist actually in person de defend this notion with the idea that we all deserve death. That, that, I mean, you, you, cannot, you cannot debate that, that concept, that we all deserve death. And so we all deserve death. And so if God just calls one person out of this punishment, that he is showing an abundance of grace. 
And so a Calvinist uh, essentially is, is placing the decision on who's saved or not solely in God's hands. As his grace is irresistible, it's physically impossible to resist his grace. On the other side, uh, we, we have terms that you may be familiar with, Arminianism. A typical Arminian believes that God offers his grace to all people. And so everybody that we come into contact with has, uh, God, God has extended that offer of grace to them, every person that you come into contact with. We then have what it takes to, to either draw away from that grace that God has extended to us or draw towards that grace and accept that grace through our faith. And so we accept this grace through our faith and we resist God's grace by our lack of faith. And so an Arminian places the decision in the individual's hand of who is saved and who is not. For, for everyone has been extended that offer of grace and it's up to us if we want to accept the offer of grace. And so all of that, that being said, the, these two different camps of how people interpret these two different words as we're talking about these terms of foreknowledge, predestination, um, and we come away with, with different interpretations of what Paul is talking about. And I encourage you uh, to, to study uh, these terms on your own and come up with your own conclusion I interpret that, this is me personally, uh, I interpret this to mean that God has predestined everyone to come to accept his grace through faith. So, so God has chosen everyone to, to accept his grace through faith, and he's called everyone to justification and glorification. However, only some come to actually accept that justification and glorification through their faith. And so that, that end there in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's pretty cool to me. Oftentimes in a church setting, for a very, very good reason, we, we, we focus on the glory of God and Jesus and the glory of the coming kingdom. But sometimes we gloss over the glory that God has given us the glory that we will receive. For God has predestined us. He has called us. And if we accept that calling, then we are justified. Or formerly, we are identified as sinner, and now we are justified. We're declared righteous in the eyes of God, the only eyes that matter. And because of that, we are glorified. You are glorified being a child of God. That, that to me is pretty cool to reflect and ponder on that God has given or will give us glory through this great plan that he has for us. And so this is a, a wonderful, a, a very dense piece of scripture here that, that God inspired Paul to write in verses 18 through 30. But, but essentially, what, what we see in this passage is Paul contrasting this temporary suffering that we go through to the glory of the coming kingdom. And Paul says that the present suffering that we go through does not even begin to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then on top of that, we also see how the Spirit is interceding for us. 
The Spirit, when we are lost for words and we're seeking God in prayer, the Spirit is working on our behalf. And if we are filled with God's Spirit, if the Spirit is working on behalf of us and God has chosen us, then we are justified and we are glorified in the eyes of God. That is who you are. You are a glorified child of God is going to partake in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And whatever you go through today, yesterday, or tomorrow does not even begin to compare to the glory that will be revealed to you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this hope that we have a hope of your glorious coming kingdom. And Father, I just pray that everyone here answers your calling, that we put our faith in you, and that we are justified and glorified in your eyes. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.